This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Faye Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah, hustle in the house. Yeah, hustle in the what is going on? I'm Rob Fain. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 22nd day of December, just three days away from the holiest of days, Christmas. And more than anything, I hope this finds you and your family well. Today's a little bit different. No, Rob Simpson is not coming on the show. He's breaking his Cal Ripken-esque-like streak of being the only guest that I've had on for the past month. But uh, to Rob Simpson, everybody at Equity Guru, thank you for a fantastic year. We are nearly into 2022. And I know if you're in British Columbia right now listening to this show, you're probably sitting back thinking, man, this place is doom and gloom right now. So what I'm going to do for this particular show, and no, it's not going to be just an upper, but I wanted to treat this like you're a little kid, you're still in your pajamas, you've run downstairs, Santa has stopped by, and now you're opening up your stocking for those who get stockings. And stockings are kind of cool because they're a little bit of everything. And that's what today's show is going to mimic. It is going to be some of my favorite moments, some of my more curious moments, just stuff from 2021 that I wanted to kind of just uh, look back on. It's not a year in review, but it's just some moments where you sit back and you're like, yeah, that happened this year. Because so much has happened, it feels like this past year has been five years. When you think of where we were at the beginning of this year, we kind of loosened up in the summer, and now we're clamped back down again here in the winter. But um, there have been some good moments, and some moments that have made you think as well. So I'm going to try to find eh, somewhere between seven to ten things. But imagine putting your big old paw down into the, uh, I guess, the shoe part of the stocking. And this is where we're going to find some of our stuff today. So... First and foremost, right out of the gates, it was the swan song for this man. Cooper's third pair, if you will, would be the one that was on the ice, Ballard and Sallow. Here's Jonathan Taves with Kane and Sharp. Patrick Kane, Sharp's in front of hard pass, Campbell! Oh, what a save by Luongo! Brian Campbell had his arms raised, thought he'd scored a goal, robbed at the goal line by Roberto Luongo. If they lose, might have some people available Monday if there's a sixth game. There's a centering pass. What a save by Luongo and Mike Fisher. That just kept... Yeah, it's still my favorite voice when it comes to NHL hockey. I know a couple of years ago, Bob Cole retired from Hockey Night in Canada, and that is a generational voice. I would put Bob Cole... And I hate to use this. I do this all the time, and I know every time I do, it's kind of an eye roll. But my Mount Rushmore of Canadian hockey broadcasters includes Bob Cole, but it also includes Jim Hewson. And a lot of people forget that Jim also did baseball. He did it with Jesse Barfield and Rance Mullenix for a couple of years on CBC, I believe. And it was really good. And I don't think a lot of people remember that. And what's funny is at the end of Jim Houston's career, people were starting to get a, I don't want to say a dislike for him, but people were starting to say, oh, he's too Toronto-centric and what have you. I just think you play with the cards you've been dealt. And uh, I think he is, for my money, meat and potatoes, one of the best play-by-play broadcasters that Canada has ever produced. And I'll put that up against hockey, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. Jim Houston, for me, retiring this year, kind of sad because he is the voice of my childhood and the voice of what I consider to be the best hockey broadcaster of my lifetime. 
All right, and you can debate me all you want. You can go to at Rob Faye on Twitter, R-O-B-F is in Frank, A-I. Let me know that I'm right or I'm wrong. It's fine either way, but just some personal taste, if you will. So the wrestling. Yes, we'll get to the localized wrestling a little bit later, but the biggest moment for me of the entire calendar year, and, and again, I'm not trying to make this a year in review, but the one moment, if you made me close my eyes and say, take me to this moment, this would be the first thing that I would think of this year. Man, that was something. And you know what's funny is I didn't even need to play a word of commentary. And if you're a wrestling fan, you know exactly where that happened and you know exactly what that was. For those who don't know, that was the return of a wrestler by the name of CM Punk after seven years away from the ring. And he didn't go back to his old company, the WWE. He showed up at AEW. And for me, this was really the year where AEW said, we're not just going to compete with WWE, we're going to go out there and try to beat WWE. And in certain weeks when it came to the television ratings, did just that. And again, I just love the competition. I think it's good for wrestling when it's not just a monopoly, when it's not just WWE who formulates NXT and they have the whole piece of the pie. But the one thing that I will say about wrestling that I'm noticing as a result and I believe that there is a correlation between the two. The more popular that AEW gets, the more that wrestling fans are actually circling onto the indie circuit because they're seeing a lot of the guys who couldn't make it, quote-unquote, to the WWE showing up and then showing out on AEW. Well, where are these wrestlers coming from? A lot of the super indies, a lot of the indie circuits around North America. So I actually think that the creation of AEW isn't just good to see the big dog get some competition, but it's also great because now people are saying, well, wait a minute, where did all these wrestlers come from? And then they look to the indies and realize that there was a lot of talent that essentially is right in their backyard or at least in their region. I mean, I look at the Pacific Northwest. And some of the wrestlers, even a, even a couple of months ago, said, man, it's a barren wasteland. It's the black hole as far as people realizing the talent that's in this region. Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, unbelievable talent in this region. And I think people are getting to know it a lot better over the last couple of months. And not because of the creation of NEW, but because now people are starting to look for where these great wrestlers came from. And I think they're starting to realize that a lot of them have a connection to this region. Okay, from a, I get, and I don't want to call it a sport per se, but from entertainment taking center stage on a main stage to a fake fighter, I guess that's what we would call Jake Paul, but a fake fighter challenging the mainstream. When it comes to MMA, everybody knows that Dana White and UFC basically have that quasi-monopoly. And yes, that's with no disrespect to some of the smaller promotions, at least by comparison to UFC, but the one knock on Dana is, he said he doesn't pay his fighters enough. He thinks he does, 
There's some, including Jake Paul, he of YouTube fame, that says that he doesn't. And called out a former UFC champion in Tyron Woodley to take a fight while they fought, and Jake Paul won, not once, but twice, over a bonafide UFC star. I know what you're thinking, he might be a little bit older, but this was the conversation afterwards between Paul and Tyron Woodley, making a lot of people in the fighting community a little uncomfortable that this YouTuber isn't going away. I don't know what to say, but that, you know, he's a tough opponent. He's been boxing, fighting, striking, whatever you want to call it, for 20-something years. I've been doing this for three years as of a couple of days ago. This one's for my city. This one's for Cleveland. You know, it was a tougher fight than I expected. My legs felt weird since the locker room. I don't know what's wrong with me, but he's a tough opponent. All respect to Tyron. You know, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he put up a good fight. He's a good boxer. He came in shape. I have nothing but respect to him. There was a lot of shit talk back and forth. Uh, my apologies to his team if anyone felt disrespected. It's no hard feelings, man, but this feels amazing to do this for my city, bring it home. This is a dream come true. I want to cry, but I'm a little tired. <laughs> Are you surprised one judge scored it for him? 100%, yeah. It's, I mean, let's be honest, that's bullshit. Like, got the big come on. <laughs> got the big Especially in my hometown, like, where, where's that judge at? Come on. <laughs> but but he, he, he hit me with one shot the whole fight, you know? It was a good shot. Uh, he hit me with more shots, but I'm saying like a real shot, one shot. Yeah, and you could knock that guy all you want for maybe not having some poise in that moment, but here's the thing that you cannot take away from the Paul brothers. Let's not forget his brother Logan also fought Floyd Mayweather earlier this year. They have, and these are facts, the number one and number two pay-per-views of the entire year which means there's a lot of eyes on this. There's a lot of people that were curious, and even though they want to see people knock out the Paul brothers, they're buying those, so they're not going anywhere because money talks, and we all know that. So we'll see what happens in the new year. It looks right now like Jake Paul wants to load up with Jorge Masvidal, which in the octagon I think goes about 15, 20 seconds, but in the ring, who knows? And I'd be curious to know who those brothers end up fighting in 2022. All right, so the Olympic Games taking place a year late because of COVID. And this year had some interesting storylines. In addition to golds for Canada and golds for the United States and who won and who lost was an interesting storyline beneath the Olympic Games as a whole. Because we always look at the Olympic Games as exciting, exciting, gold, silver, bronze. But Simone Biles, a member of the United States gymnastics team, does not take part in her team competition. And at first, she got absolutely ripped for not being a part of her team when they needed her the most. But we also got a chance on the heels of Naomi Osaka stepping back from the spotlight as well to realize that the pressure of social media, the pressure of the world in 2021 is a little bit different for these athletes. So here's Simone Biles talking about why she withdrew from that team competition. No, um, no injury, thankfully. And that's why I took a step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. So I thought it was best if these girls took over and did the rest of the job, which they absolutely did. They're Olympic silver medalists now, and they should be really proud of themselves for how well they did last minute having to go in. Um, and it's been really stressful, this Olympic Games. I think just as a whole, um, not having an audience, there are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, 
So just a lot of different variables, and I think we're just a little bit too stressed out, um, but we should be out here having fun, and sometimes that's not the case. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a back seat, uh, work on my mindfulness, and I knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job, and I didn't want to risk the team a medal for uh, kind of my screw-ups because they've worked way too hard for that. So I just decided that the, those girls need to go in and do the rest of the competition. Yeah, I say um, put mental health first because if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are rather than just battle through it. You know, one of the things that I will say over the past couple of years is that I am very happy that the, I guess, the stigmas of mental health are becoming fewer and fewer. When I was in high school, this is a true story. I haven't, I don't know if I've even told this one here. I was diagnosed with ADD. And back in those days, instead of, you know, thinking of medication or whatever, I think maybe if you were severely ADHD and all those things that maybe they had some prescription for you. But in high school, they basically just put you in a classroom with all the other kids that had ADD. For example, one of my blocks became a, uh, a focus group, a, a chance to follow up on your homework or a chance to get caught up or refocused. And I just remember being in that room and looking around at the other kids and they were kind of the quote unquote troubled kids or what have you. And I remember just thinking to myself, I'm so embarrassed to be in this room. And my buddies would walk through the hallways, you know, they'd go to get a drink of water, they'd go to the bathroom, they'd see me in there and they'd be like, dude, what are you doing in there? It was like wearing an A on your chest sometimes. You just had this like embarrassment that you had this, quote, ADD, and that there was this mental block that you had that some of the other kids didn't have, and you just felt different. So, I mean, we're talking like, what, 25, 30 years ago now, not to date myself too much, but I'm just glad that in this day and age, if a child, for example, in high school or in a sport has the same challenges that I had way back when, that there's much more acceptance of it, there are many more options for it, and there's a chance to move forward with a little bit of dignity because you didn't have that dignity back when I was in high school. Speaking of going back in the time machine, and I was just thinking about this this morning, I couldn't believe it, and I don't think this had anything to do with the style of show that I'm doing today, but I couldn't believe that it was 10 years ago, 10 years ago, since this happened. Well, back here at Scotiabank Field, it is 9-2 Vancouver as we go to the top of the ninth, and the closer, Drew Permison, comes in. It is not a same situation, but it's an opportunity to put a pretty good arm into the game and try to lock this one down. Vancouver, you've waited since 1999 for a championship here at Scotiabank Field. In 04 and 05, we were close, but I got to think we're in pretty decent shape here. So Permison will deal with a 3-4-5 of the order for the Dust Devils, who are looking for a miracle here at 33rd in Ontario. The first pitch from the Permanators, a fastball that is up in the zone. His moniker, Permanator, came from the guys up here in the press box when they realized that now that we're with the Blue Jays, it's a version of Tom Hankey's Terminator. It fit perfectly, and it's kind of stuck. The 1-0. He's a fastball that is in, and the count goes to one and one. Massey, a left-handed hitting, outfielder slash first baseman. Awaits the one-one, it misses, and the count goes to two and one. Here at the ballpark, 
just a trace of cloud. It's a beautiful blue sky. How appropriate that at 3.30 in the afternoon, the Canadians are just outs away from a Northwest League championship. Permison's second appearance in the playoffs. His only other outing was a little bit of a tumultuous one. Canadians were up a couple, but boy, they let the Eugene Emeralds almost take this West Division championship right from them. But the Permanator got tough at the right time and got the outs. High chopper that's going to go into right field. So a leadoff single off the bat of Tyler Massey. As right now, the Dust Devils know they got nothing to lose. So Jared Simon steps up. Dave Pano, the hitting coach for the Vancouver Canadians, up a couple of steps from the top dugout step. He will yell at the infielders just for their defensive alignment. Where are they going to play here? Randy Schwartz has come into the game at first base for the Vancouver Canadians, a defensive substitution. Everybody else holding serve right now. Pierce Rankin still behind the plate. You got Pilar in center, bookended by Balagod and Newman in the outfield. Permison, the right-hander, working from the stretch. Fastball missed outside, and the count goes to 1-0. Permison would love nothing more than a ground ball here off the bat of Jared Simon, who does have good speed. He might be a tough cookie to double up. Swing and a miss, and the count goes to 1-1. One one. You look back to 2007 when Jake Kerr and Jeff Mooney purchased this team, and... Shortly after it introduced Andy Dunn as the president of the Vancouver Canadians, what that meant to this city and to this organization. Curveball in for a strike, and the count goes to one and two. Took a couple of years to really right the ship. Graham Wall had a hand in this. Jason Tackiffman, J.C. Fraser. Tom Archibald and Trevor Sheffield as well. The one-two. Got him. Jared Simon watched a fantastic slider catch the corner. And now there are one out. Canadians could win the championship on a ground ball if they can turn a double play. Seas are two outs away from the Northwest League championship. Alan Bailey and his whole ticketing staff downstairs probably listening right now at Team 1410. Get out onto the field and enjoy this. Curveball in for a strike, and the count goes to 0-1, and, and the crowd builds with every pitch. Permison looking into the catcher, Pierce Rankin. Every Canadian at the top step of the dugout. They know they're close. Pitch fouled off, and the count now goes to 0-2 to Jordan Ribera. Ribera is 0-3 in this game with three strikeouts, all swinging. He struck out in the second, fourth, and seventh. Think of what this Canadiens team has been through this year. From the fight in Spokane to losing out on the first half pennant. Struck him out. 0 for 4, and here we go. Vancouver is one out away from a Northwest League championship. Man, oh man, how exciting is this? Every fan in the stadium on their feet right now. The pitch from Permison to Jerron Shepard in for a strike. Every single person 
in this stadium is on their feet right now. 11 years in the making. And the old one missed. All those housing families watching down the third baseline. Our longtime crazies down at Section 10, Love and Life. Making this building a real hard place to play. Curve ball in for a strike. And the C's are a strike away from the championship. Hermison steps on the mound. Runner at first, nobody's even close. The one-two from Permison in the dirt. Canadians with their hats on backwards down the third base line. The bullpen, that's only a handful of them down the line. Shepard, the last hope for the Dust Devils, who trailed by seven. 2-2 pitch from Permison. Slow roller, it's up the middle. Birdie fields it to open to the seas of the champions of the Northwest. <laughs> Vancouver, you have a champion that calls Scotiabank Field home. As the Vancouver Canadians in convincing fashion win the lead by a score of 9-2. to two. I remember how excited I was for days after that. I mean, it was one of those things where when it happened, it's kind of weird. You look around the press box at the ballpark and you realize, wow, there's no game tomorrow. That you're the last team standing and that you're eventually, thanks to our ownership, going to get a ring out of it, which was really cool. I can't believe that somewhere at home, tucked away somewhere, I have four of those Vancouver Canadian Championship rings. And, you know, even though I've moved on from the Canadians and I realize that the world is round, when you're with the Canadians, you think it's the biggest deal that you're there with the Lions and the Whitecaps, the Canucks and all that. And you know what? There is a place for the Vancouver Canadians on the sports landscape table in Vancouver for sure. But um, now that I've kind of been removed from a couple of years from the Canadians and the front office and everything, uh, it was a great training ground, man. It was a great place to learn, cut my teeth. I listened back to that audio, and I think I could do way better now. Like, I would love a do-over on it, but um, it was still so cool to think that that was 10, 10 years ago since Vancouver won their first championship in the Northwest League. And I got there in 2007, so there was a lot of seeing the other team's broadcaster walk out with their championship eyes. That was the first of three straight years that the Vancouver Canadians would go on and win a Northwest League championship. It was uh, high times, as they called it. And names like Marcus Stroman, Kevin Pillar, Noah Syndergaard all came through Nat Bailey, which uh, just makes me shake my head that it was so cool to get a front row seat to that. All right, that's today's episode of Sports Bar Radio. My thanks to everybody at Equity Guru. We'll do this again tomorrow. I think this is fun to kind of go through the year that was. We're not going to make it an official year in review. I'm no Ian McClutchy that's going to give you the January, February, March. 
but maybe we'll pull out some clips and um, just try to reflect on the crazy year that has surrounded us as we get ready for Christmas just a couple of days from now. Thank you to everybody at Equity Guru. My thanks to everybody that has supported me listening. Please share, please like, please subscribe, but more than anything, just take care of yourself, and I will see you tomorrow. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.